0: One of my students had a flatmate, and the flatmate had a van. Toyota Hi-Ace had no windows, and he wanted to sell it, so he put it on the marketplace. And my student was at home, and there was a knock at the door. He opened the door, and there were these two Muslim, young Muslim men standing there. And these were like full-on conservative um, beards. They had the gowns, the hats. And they said, we are here about the van. And my student, he was a bit ashamed of himself, and he, just, he said, yeah. When I, when I said that, I was thinking, what do you want with a van? If we're honest, a lot of Australians, uh, initial reaction, particularly to a hardcore, really serious, keeny be Beni Muslim will be, oh, you're this Muslim, terrorism, vans, wallet. what do you want to do? Um, but he got over that and he just said, well, it's my friend's van, he's not here. He's coming home soon, why don't you come in and have a cup of tea? And so they came in, sat down, and they worked out fairly quickly that he was at a Bible college, and then they started talking about the Quran and the Bible and Jesus and Muhammad. And um, at the end of the hour or so that they were together, they said to him, "Uh, we've been in Australia five, six years. This is the first time we've been in an Australian house. You're the first Australian that's offered us any hospitality. You're the first Christian we've found that's willing to talk about Jesus Um, with us in that six years.
1: Countless souls around the world who do not know Jesus and can't easily access the gospel. This is the heart of mission. What small role can you play in God's big world? Missionaries, cross-cultural specialists, pastors, their stories and perspectives can really help us. Thanks for joining us. Grab a cuppa and strap in as we demystify, decode and de-stress the great challenges of cross-cultural mission. G'day, Mark Peterson here, Director of CMS South Australia and the Northern Territory. In this final episode of Season 3 of the Heart of Mission podcast, we meet an expert on communicating the gospel with Muslims. Now, reaching Muslims might be an overseas mission opportunity that God is laying on your heart. But it's also a mission opportunity that doesn't necessarily involve leaving Australia. Part of the joy of living in multicultural Australia is seeing more and more people from different parts of the world joining us down under. This includes people from majority Muslim countries. And of course, in our sharing of the news of life and hope through Jesus, We don't discriminate on the basis of race or religious background, or should I say we mustn't discriminate. And it turns out that speaking with people who follow Islam brings enormous joy. Many of the Muslims I've spoken with over the years have been much more keen to talk about spiritual matters than Australian born people with a Western background. Many of whom have become quite inarticulate in matters of faith and religion, not so for many of our Muslim neighbors. But how do you approach a conversation about Jesus with followers of Muhammad? Jesus appears in the Quran many times, and yet Christians and Muslims have a different account of who he is and what happened at the cross. So how do we get beyond the your book says this, our book says that kind of argument? I mean, we don't want to really be having arguments at all, do we? We want to hold out the word of life to people of all backgrounds and Jesus himself said it's only through him that eternal life is gifted. How do we share Christ without letting things descend into arguments? Or at least, how do we work our way through our different backgrounds to the truth that sets us free? Today, I'm chatting with Richard Schumack. Those of you who attended CMS's Summer Under the Sun conference in Victoria in January this year would recognize Richard Schumack from your main speaker platform. But also here in the South Australia and Northern Territory branch, we've had the opportunity to hear Richard speak very recently at our annual online dinner. For that event, we wanted to set Richard a topic that could be a foundation for thinking about gospel sharing among Muslims. And so because love is the answer, all you need is love. And you've got that love and feeling we thought we'd ask him to talk about, love the greater love that God has made known to us through Christ and which must surely shape our sharing of the gospel with others, including Muslims. And so I began this interview by asking Richard to sum up what he'd said at the dinner about this greater love. It turns out that love in gospel witness, it's not always easy.
0: In a nutshell, I was really reflecting on, uh, a, a I don't know what the word is, tension, difficulty, challenge that um, we experienced, particularly in our long-term mission with the um, Horn of Africa community, Somali, Ethiopian, Eritrean, is, is just how do you mission with people who you find difficult to spend time with? Um, particularly Somalis, it's a culture that, um, These are people who are very broken, messed up by civil war, messed up by um, an attitude to religion that um, meant that they were very domineering. They used violence to solve things. There was a a lack of grace, a strong legalism, and also an attitude within their, they were were taught, and this is not a standard thing, but certainly within their folk Islam, they were taught that Christians were servants, were put there by God, made by God to be their servants, and so that all added up to um, a context that was very culturally challenging but also very, you know, people were difficult to find enjoyable and lovable. There were some who were great um, but, yeah, as a culture, it was hard to love it.
1: So Christians, this is part of who we are though, isn't it? That we are people who are we love in the same sense that God loves us, the gospel is, is um, the extension of God's love. You talked in your talk about the the connection between mission and and love. So what does it actually look like on the ground? Like when you've got a really a person that's really hard to love, what's the
0: how do you do it? Yeah. Well, I mean the first thing to say is that at one level they're right. Like we are called to be servants of all. And um, so the the sort of gut level reaction to, oh don't you treat me like a servant is, well actually maybe, maybe I need to be a little humbler and say, oh, I'm happy to serve you. Um, there, are, there are challenges around not being a doormat um, and not just uh, serving in a way that's going to get abused for the sake of it. But I think that was the first thing to realised: no, there's something right about self-sacrificially giving of ourselves. Um, and, and really, in the in the talk as well, there's a, a rightness to um, and an act of the will to decide to love, to decide to care. Um, it's a not. In the same way that love operates in families, it's not always easy, it's not always fun, there's sometimes tensions, there's sometimes um, disagreements and distance, but no, we we make a decision that I'm going to work out um, what it will take for me to serve you and care for you and work for your best. Um, I mean, I could riff off a lot of this, but part of it too is realising that it's not necessarily a call to be um, good friends with people. I think friendship... Um, there's a lot more I could say about this, but friendship tends to be about like. I'm with someone who I like and we like the same things and we um, uh, we like spending time together. You don't need to do that necessarily to love someone. I think uh, over time you can learn to like people as well. But, yeah, it's just recognising, no, I'm going to work for your best um, even if it's not comfortable all the time, even if you're someone who does who isn't at all like me, and who doesn't like the same things that I like? And
1: so, if someone was thinking about going overseas to be a missionary, you're saying to them, "You, you want to have love in your in your mind, in your heart. This has to be, I, I guess, you need to be compelled by love to do that. Yeah. But you may not necessarily feel like you, you know, your love at this point. How, what are you going to say to a missionary or a, a prospective missionary who's heading out like that? Maybe they don't know the people yet, and maybe they just need to meet them.
0: I think there's some wisdom in um, resonating with your likes a bit. So clearly, if there are um, cultures that you are, um, feel an affinity for, or a comfort with, or, or even an attraction to, that you know, there's no, um, you don't wanna sort of choose the hardest just for the sake of it being hard. Um, so there's that sense of our likes are there for a purpose and, and um, you might as well work with them if you can. But, yeah, a lot of it is training. You can train yourself to like things. And so it's a discipline and you can train yourself to like food. You can train yourself um, to like people. It takes work. It takes getting inside their world. Often it takes walking with them deeply and um, long enough to work out why it is that they are the way they are, why, why they do the things they do, why they're as prickly as they are, um, what's happened to them in their life that's left them in that place. Um, I talked before about Somalis, and when you get the sort of um, just the extreme levels of trauma and violence and payback and the, the loss that people had through the civil war that had raged there for years, Uh, when you know people who have young, as kids, watched as someone came into their home and mowed down all the adult males as a 10-for-1 payback for something. Like, when you get a bit of a sense of it, then you can start to develop some sympathy and you can start to um, try and understand. I forget the difference between sympathy and empathy. You you can never stand in that place, but you can start to say, yeah, okay, okay. I get it. I get some of it, and your compassion starts to kick in.
1: I mean, there's there's a lot of those kind of stories that we sort of just hear here and there, and and I think it makes it difficult for us to think about you know going to be a worker in a Muslim country. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a fear involved. There's a political um, backstory as well. Plus, we know that in many parts of the world, the gospel is struggling because Islam is really so strong, and it's not, an easy, it's not an easy process for workers going to those um, gospel poor parts of the world. I yeah. mean, what, what do you say to someone who's kind of afraid? Is this, you know, how do we, how do we go forward?
0: You will find, even with Somali, though Somalis I really liked and gone along with really well, and there were a few things, not so many maybe, but a few things in the culture where I thought, oh, wow, that's really cool. It took a while, but I really wish we had that. Um, and there's something about every culture when you and every community as well, every global community. When you go there, you'll think, oh, yeah, this is pretty cool. This food's great. This community's great. This person I connect with. Um, Now, you need to transcend that and sort of keep investing in people even when you're not feeling it. Um, But yeah, it's a decision of the will and at the same time, you'll find enjoyable things. And certainly one thing that will just permeate all the Muslim world is hospitality and food is huge. Um, If you love coffee, there's a head start. If you um, love eating, you'll love it. If you love family, you'll love it. Um, If you love street culture and if you love um, vigorous debates and like there's so much to love about the Muslim world that is just, um, well, fun, <laughs> but also more than fun, which it's all stuff that's very, um, very created in the sense of it's profoundly God made us for that and there's something in the West that we've lost. We're not so communal. We're not so... Um, Passionate about debating truth. We're a lot more sort of step backy and polite. We're about entertainment and not digging into serious, deep things. And Mm. um, so there's so many really cool things about the Middle East that actually make um, gospel ministry really easy. You can start a conversation about God um, without trying. And in fact, if you're there as a Christian in the Muslim world and you're not talking about God and Jesus, they'll want to know what's the problem? Why? What are What's wrong with you? Why don't you really believe this stuff? Um, so there's so many things about it that are um, attractive in a ministry sense and in a engaging with people sense.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I certainly found that personally recently went and gave some shortbread out at Christmas um, to the people in our street. We hadn't had a chance to meet them um, in Adelaide. And um, of all of the households we visited, it was the Pakistanis who were the most keen to bring us into the house, and actually, they they brought people through from the rest of the house. You know, their daughters came out, and we all just had this this big kind of conversation. They 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 wanted to give us food and drink, and it was just spontaneous. And immediately, the topic of faith came up, and we didn't have a big argy bargy about it. Um, but it was a
0: it, there was no doubt that this is part of how they live. Yeah, I mean, it's profoundly natural. It's profoundly natural to talk about faith, profoundly natural to stop and to talk <laughs> and to just hang out. Um, as I mentioned before, we were um, for a long time working in Horn of Africa community, and question I'll always ask when I'm talking to doing missions training is how long is a cup of coffee? How long does it take to have coffee with someone? Yeah. Um, In Australia, what an hour? Maybe. What do you put in your diary? In Ethiopia, you start with two hours because um, coffee is a—it's a a ceremony. You, even in the West, they'll bring their—they'll lay out a mat which represents grass, and they'll set up their burners, and you roast the coffee, and you cool the coffee, and you grind the coffee, and you cook the coffee, and then you let it settle, and um, and then you'll eventually an hour later, you might get one cup of coffee, um, but. You're not allowed to start talking about anything meaningful till you've had two. Um, Or it's all small talk for an hour, hour and a half, um, or no talk at all. And you're just waiting and watching and smelling the smoke and the whole ceremony is set up so that it's absolutely about relationship and time and um, space. And then you have deep conversations. It's
1: interesting, isn't it? Because we we know we need those deep conversations. And, yeah, how do you actually get them? And the interesting thing is that, yeah, perhaps in thinking about other cultures and connecting with other cultures, there's there's stuff for us to learn. And I kind of want to just ask a question about the local church and how local churches here um, might actually, I guess, through engaging with people from other cultures, and we're thinking particularly about those from a Muslim background today, how they might actually uh, be spurred on in their evangelism in their local communities by thinking about who the Muslims are and trying to connect with Muslims. Yeah, sure. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, well, let me start with a story. One of my students, um, this was in Melbourne, uh, he uh, he lived, had a flatmate, and the flatmate had a van, um, like just a cargo van, like a Toyota Hi-Ace, had no windows. Um, and he wanted to sell it, so he put it on Marketplace. And my student was at home and the, there was a knock at the door. He opened the door and there were these two Muslim, young Muslim men standing there. And these were like full-on conservative um, beards. They had the gowns, the hats. And they said, we're here about the van. And my student, he was a bit ashamed of himself, and he just he said, yeah, when I, when I said that, I was thinking, what do you want with a van? Because that's a very... So, if we're honest, a lot of Australians' an initial reaction, particularly to a hardcore, really serious, Kenya being Muslim, will be, oh, you're this Muslim terrorism vans. Well, what do you want to do? Um, but he sort of got over that and he just said, well, it's my friend's van. He's not here. Um, he's coming home soon. Why don't you come in and have a cup of tea? And so they came in, sat down. And they worked out fairly quickly that he was at a Bible college and then they started talking about the Quran and the Bible and Jesus and Muhammad. And um, at the end of the hour or so that they were together, they said to him, "Uh, we've been in Australia five, six years. Um, This is the first time we've been in an Australian house. You're the first Australian that's offered us any hospitality. Um, And this is really challenging. You're the first Christian we've found that's willing to talk about Jesus um, with us in that six years. And so uh, the answer to your question, I think, is like, talk like, honestly, it's as simple as smile at someone, smile at a Muslim in the street. Particularly if you're a Muslim woman, um, you will have encountered abuse. Unquestionably, you will have encountered some sort of, um, it's not racist, but what's the word, religionist abuse. You'll be abused for being a Muslim in public. Um, But, yeah, if if you're a woman, smile at a woman. If you're a man, smile at a man. Say hello. There are nearly always some cultures where people talk in the street and you can just say hi Um, and just see where it goes. Say hi. Give them your name.
1: What about programs? I mean, a lot of our churches want to do programs and we might sort of get a sense, oh, we've got a bunch of Muslims living in our area. Uh, We want to do a program. I mean, what, what do you reckon? Should they do a program or is there a better way to think about it?
0: Well, when we were doing ministry in Australia, we certainly had programs. Um, We had homework groups and we had English classes. um, um, And there was a place for them. We were particularly with the refugee community, so it was a felt need. Um, But you certainly don't need to run a program. Like I think community is a key thing. Community, I know churches, they have community meals and you just invite someone along. Absolutely our key goal all the time was... We had two real key goals. One was to work out some way of inviting Muslims into taste Christian community. It might have been your home. It might have been a, we would run church picnics a lot. Muslims tend to love picnics. Um, if you go to parks, you'll often see Muslims, big groups of, of extended families. So we'd run picnics regularly where we just be able to invite people along. Obviously church itself, we'd invite people to that. Um, but Christian community. And then it, our second goal at some point was to um, work, work out a way of um, giving them a Bible or um, helping doing, to encounter the Gospels somehow. But, yeah, just invite them to some sort of communal gathering.
1: So assume we've got to the point where they're in, they're in communication with us and we've actually started a conversation yeah. about religious things and I guess religious differences and so yeah. on. What do you think some of the things are that Christians should be trying to get across uh, in a conversation with a Muslim?
0: Again, that's that sort of second point that I was making. The the goal is always to introduce Muslims to Jesus. Muslims think they know about Jesus, but they really don't. So um, he's in there. He's in the the
1: Quran. Yeah, he's a right. key figure. They he, he's a prophet in the in the Quran. Right, they'll
0: consider him a prophet, and it's hard to say he's a key figure. He's certainly there um, numerous times, something like twenty five times. Fascinatingly, he's spoken about in ways that. Are much more impressive than Muhammad. So he's he does miracles. Muhammad doesn't do miracles. He is talked about as the word of God and a spirit from God. Muhammad doesn't do that. He's he's um, ascends to heaven. Doesn't happen to Muhammad who died. He, really interestingly, Jesus is the one who will judge you. He's the one who comes back. On Judgment Day and judges you, decides whether you're in or out. There's an Antichrist as well the jail, which is a sort of a mysterious figure. All, all these sort of really fascinating things in the Quran, um, especially Mary's huge, big, big um, emphasis on Mary and the Virgin Birth. So all these things that are that sort of single Jesus out as being very um, particular or very special. He's, but yeah, ultimately he's still a prophet. He's a special prophet and a distinct prophet with a unique ministry. Um, But if you ask any Muslim the details, well, what did this prophet say? (laughs) Tell me about his ministry um, when he was on earth. Tell me about what he said. Beyond these sort of um, bare facts about him, they'll know almost nothing about him. Very, very few Muslims will know anything about him. So um, overwhelmingly, the key thing is just trying to introduce them to Jesus. That's the key.
1: And is it good to do that via the Quran? I mean, if he's if all these things are said about Jesus in the Quran, which are consistent with the revelation in the in the Bible, is
0: that is that a good angle? Certainly, um, Christians have tried doing that over the years, and the um, I've just mentioned a number of things that it says about Jesus that are um, at some level true. The tricky thing about doing it is the Qur'an also denies, denies true things about Jesus and, that, and the Jesus of the Qur'an, as we've just said, he's merely a prophet and it goes out of its way to deny the, what I think are the core things about Jesus, that he's divine, that he's the Lord, and also that he died on a cross and that he rose again. So they deny divinity, um, his sacrificial death, and his resurrection and actually you read Romans chapter 10, it says all you need to really know about Jesus is that he is the Lord who died and rose again. <laughs> like that's that's the goal. That's the real stuff. And the Quran explicitly denies it. And More than that, the figure of Jesus, he's not just there in a neutral sort of sense of floating around. He's like called as a witness to Muhammad. So the, the Jesus of the Quran is only useful to the Quran in terms of backing Muhammad up and saying, yeah, this stuff Jesus talked about, Muhammad talked about. Um, Jesus was a prophet, Muhammad was the same sort of prophet. Everyone taught Islam, Jesus taught Islam. So you need to be very careful. If you want to point to the Jesus in the Quran, um, just know the context that you're doing. Even the context where um, the, what you might think are the most sympathetic things, like Jesus is the Spirit of God or Jesus is the Word of God, the Qur'an understands that very, very differently to what the Bible does. So I think Christians can inadvertently um, take the Muslim Jesus out completely out of context and not really understand it. Um, so if you're an ignorant Muslim who doesn't know that any about that, many Muslims don't know much about their own theology or the Qur'anic theology, They they might not care, but if you're talking with a Muslim that knows their stuff, then I think it's a highly risky um, thing. You'll, you'll either be shown to be ignorant, that you don't really know what you're talking about with the Quran, or or you'll be um, affirming things that you don't want to be affirming. So yeah, I'd be very cautious about doing that. You can certainly say things like, well, hey, even in your Quran, you, or things like, show me what Je- the Quran says about Jesus, and then I can show you what the Bible is. And But ultimately, the goal is, you want to show them the biblical Jesus. But
1: you do then find yourself in this um, Bible versus Quran kind of discussion, don't you? And it's a me and my background versus you and your background. I mean, what happens there? Are you are you trying to? Um, yeah, you try. At some point, you're going to be saying, "Well, I don't think the Quran's true." You know,
0: how do you tackle that? I think the first thing to recognise is that the Muslims will probably be there way before you, anyway. So okay. Muslims are very happy to say that the Quran is true and the Bible's been changed. Um, so don't be too precious about that and Would I you think, correct them on some of the sort of historical background of the scriptures, that sort of stuff or? Well, you can certainly ask them, I, we had a, there's lots of different approaches. So the things that you'll be told all, again and again, um, and so any, every Christian has to at least be ready for the challenge that the Trinity is stupid, that it's impossible for Jesus to, um, or God to become a man. The incarnation is impossible, and the third one is the Bible's been changed. So, even if you don't want to do apologetics or don't want to get into a um, like a dispute with nearly every at least conservative Muslim, that's where they'll head really quickly. Um, so, yeah, if you want to talk about the scriptures, you'll have to have something ready to go about why you think the Bible hasn't been changed, and you can. There's different ways that you can. Um, approach that. Um, Muslims and most Christians for that matter don't really know their textual histories very well so a historical discussion won't go very far I don't think. Um, We had an Egyptian uh, woman in one of our ministry teams. she was great. Her response was don't be stupid I've given my whole life to this do you think I'd do that if if I knew it had been changed, if it had been so obviously changed that's crazy. so there, there are, you'll need to work out ways of negotiating it. Um, that's an interesting response because it's largely a testimonial response, not a. Um, it's not a telling you you're wrong. It's more just pointing. Well, this is what I believe, and I think there's a lot of value in that sort of response, which is not well. You don't know what you're talking about. It's more well. Here's, here are my reasons, and here's why I trust it. Um, same thing with the. <clears throat> Things, even with the trinity like you don't you don't need to have an argument with them about philosophical possibilities you can just tell them well here's yeah i i get it, it's weird <laughs> but this is why i believe it mm. um and i get that yeah. it's, it's even more weird that god would become human like i get that that's humiliating and um Compromises at one level compromises his glory, and like there's so many things. I get why you think that, but here's why it makes sense to me. So there's a kind of a gracious
1: perseverance in the the things that we've received from the scriptures, and we we we're firm, but we're not we're not pushy, we're not um, you know narky, but we kind of we we we've received this. We've wrestled with some of the complexities ourselves. We don't claim to have the answers. We we claim to have received. The gospel,
0: yeah, right, and, and but more than just that, we we're pointing to a person, and I think this is a really important thing. Our, our job isn't to defend doctrine, and and often you'll get into arguments about doctrine, and of course the doctrine of the Trinity and doctrine of the Incarnation, like they're foundational uh, to the Christian faith, but but actually what we're doing is we're introducing people to Jesus. And so it's this person, this remarkable person, and, and he's a, it's a weird way of saying it, but of course he's the trump card. Like he's, <laughs> um, because for mine, and, and again, you'll need to negotiate how you want to go, how you explain this, but he's so much more impressive than Muhammad. Mm. Now, you could attack Muhammad and say, well, Muhammad had this many wives, or Muhammad did this, or you need to be careful, in my experience, if you have a deep relationship with a Muslim, you can do that. You can, As long as you don't belittle or mock, um, because most Muslims are from shame-honored cultures, so you don't want to mock Muhammad, that would be foolish. You see that with cartoons, um, the Danish cartoons. It's a shame response. You don't mock Muhammad, but you can certainly um, compare Muhammad and Jesus. And, and again, most Muslims are, will find Jesus profoundly impressive because he ticks lots of their boxes of what a holy person is like. Very simple life. Um, not a lot of possessions. Um, even the fact that he's single is seen as, as like this sort of monastic, ascetic lifestyle. All those are profoundly impressive, the way he treated women, the way he, obviously the miracles. There are just so many things about him that stand out. So um, you, you do a bit of a delicate dance when you're competing, sorry, comparing Jesus and Muhammad. But, um, but yeah, you just keep pointing people to Jesus and so, and. And subtly ask them to do the comparison. I think.
1: And I guess the great resource you have is the four gospels. The fact yeah, that you have just got story after story yeah. that they're told compellingly, and that if you could actually, I guess, you know, you could do a. I'll read some of the Quran with you. Sure. You read some of the the gospels with me.
0: Absolutely. I remember an Iraqi guy. He was refugee. Um, we I visit him regularly, and we would just read one little every time. We just read a parable or a little story of Jesus' life. Every time he was in tears afterwards. Um, now he wasn't; he didn't um, sort of bow down and give. It wasn't tell me what I can do to be saved, but it was just this. Again, he he was doing it because he knew that Jesus was a prophet, and he was fascinated by the stories he told, and he found every one of them moving and um, incredibly open to hearing those stories. Um, yeah, and who knows what God does with that, but absolutely. It, because remember, they they know that Jesus is special <laughs> but don't know any of the details. So the Gospels are, are absolutely, um, they're fascinating to them. Now, there's a lot at
1: stake for a Muslim to become a Christian. Yeah, right. And that right. will be true here in Australia where they're part of their communities, but it would also be true for a missionary on location where being a Muslim background Christian believer is often, um, you know, puts a target on your back. What's yeah. what's what's your take on that? What how do we approach that?
0: Yeah, the probably the first thing that you that we need to just get, if that's the right word, as Westerners, is that for most of us in the West. So I become a Christian at university. For me, it was a matter of changing my mind. That was it. I lost no friendships. Um, my change of priorities caused a few complications at home with my parents, um, but it didn't stop me getting a job. It put me at no physical risk. Like there is, It's simply just this thing that happened in my head. It happened in my heart, but you get where I'm going. It's a change of belief. Um, for... Nearly every Muslim, it's everything, it's transformed by that. It's, an, it's a decision that impacts family, community, um, potentially job, potentially life. Even in Australia, um, people are at very high risk of losing all those things and even their life. There are, um, particularly if they go back to a home country or there's, there's high risk for many, particularly in conservative communities, very high risk of all those things. Um, so yeah, it's a high cost. It's really is a shift of allegiance, which I think is what it is. It's, I think we're the unusual ones, by the way. <laughs> um, if we think it's just a change of our mind, we're the ones who've got a problem. It's a massive shift of our allegiance that needs to. All of us need to be transformed. Our family, our wallet, our life, everything about our life. But for a Muslim, there's no question. I get the choice of a of a half <laughs> conversion. that's completely the stakes are incredibly high and they know they're incredibly high. And so first thing is just to be aware of that's what the game you're playing. If you want to start sharing Jesus with your Muslim friend um, or your neighbour, just be aware that, you know what, they might, and this certainly happened with us, they might say to you, okay, um, if I sort of keep walking down this path through all Jesus, will you take me in? Will, can I live with you, with your community? Um, if I get kicked out of my community, will you look after me? They're the stakes, so just be aware of that it's a high stakes game like that. Um, and I think the other really key thing, I mentioned a shame on a community. A lot of what's going on there is um, if, if someone in your family changes allegiance in a, in a traditional society, that's a massively shameful thing for your family. So you need to just work out, well, okay, how, how will we do that in a way that safe is not quite the right word, but is um, manageable or negotiable. So f- that will absolutely impact the way you do ministry. You don't do ministry. Um, for, one-to-one will be important because you don't want to expose people's interest in Jesus in public. That would be a really um Risky thing. Uh, part of that too is don't assume that people will tell you the truth in public. There's more at stake than just being plain and open and honest. People will be very guarded in how they um, how they talk. Even being seen to be with certain people at certain places and times. Like there's lots of uh, things like that that you need to be just just aware of. Uh, another thing too is I think you need to be. if if you do have Muslims that are interested in Jesus and particularly if they're wanting to meaningfully become part of the Christian community, you need to let them drive it. You need to let them decide the pace at which this happens. You need them to decide the, uh, even like sort of real sort of mark of things like baptism, let them decide when baptism's right, not you. Um, Let them decide when to tell family, not you. Um, those sort of things. It,
1: it really causes us to need to be really clear on
0: our convictions
1: as well, doesn't it? That we are, if we are potentially going to um, walk into relationships with Muslims and say, actually, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is the answer, Jesus is the only way to the Father, um, that really, we, we need that inner conviction, don't we? We need that sense that. You know, this gospel that we believe in is not just a bunch of ideas and it's not just my Sunday activity. This is our true and deep conviction about the universe. We believe that the, the, the gospel and the Bible are reliable for our lives but also the lives of the people that we're going to share this with. It's not just a game.
0: Not not even slightly a game. And even just the way that we, talk, we say the gospel, a gospel is not... As you just said, it's not just a, here are four ideas and if you accept them, Satan will say, can say most of those true things and know they're true. Like it's, here's this person that you're going to entirely give your life to following. Um, absolutely. Okay, well, just to wind things
1: up, to the person who's listening and thinking, um, you know, I wonder if I could ever be a um, a worker for Christ yeah. in a Muslim country, what would
0: you say to them? Well, first thing is, yeah, of course you could. Um, the let me—I need to be a little careful just about security of certain people, and um, so I won't mention any names. But uh, one of the one of my really close friends was a professional who, uh, a medical professional. He started coming to our church because he he was living. In our area, he'd started volunteering, um, single guy, started volunteering in a in a refugee resource center, just offering some of his medical skills. And then thought, oh, I better learn how to how to like talk to these Muslim people. And so he came to our church to sort of learn a bit about how you could do that. And he picked up a few words of Arabic and he over time thought, oh, actually my skills, my my professional skills might Allowed me to work in a in a Muslim country, and so he just just went on the medical employment pages and looked up jobs, and just went and got a job there, and ended up working in a military hospital in one of the uh, extremely Muslim countries. Ended up um, down the track in a specialist unit working with the royal family. Ended up with his hands on the king. Like it went from neighbor next door in all. Profoundly ordinary ways um, to hands-on the king. Like you just, of course, you can. Got to open doors. It's not hard. And not only is the Muslim world easy in a sense to do ministry in. And don't get me wrong, those, it can be costly. Those things are illegal. It's illegal for people to convert. It's illegal to do evangelism in many places. There are many tricky things that you need to negotiate. Um, there'll be angry family <laughs> that you might have to negotiate. Um, absolutely, that's true. But the thing to bear in mind is that you have far more chance of becoming a Christian in Iraq or Iran and even Saudi Arabia. You've got more chance of becoming a Christian there than you do in Australia. It's, it's such a um, – like we tend to have these sort of ideas of difficult and easy um, that are not really well aligned to the kingdom. They certainly might be trickier lifestyle-wise, um, but there's some really cool ministry stuff that happens. And um, maybe one last little story, I, my mission heroes are Filipino maids. They are without question, I think, the most effective missionary force in the world today. They're not professionals. They're not even tent makers in the, in the strictest sense of the world, although they're absolutely strategic. The Filipino church has realized they've got a lot of people who are domestic workers, but not just domestic workers, you'll have laborers as well, who are sort of flooding into the Muslim world. And so they're equipping them, they're giving them materials to take, they're giving them Bibles to distribute, they're giving them, they're providing prayer teams back home. Um, and they're just people who are sort of willing, we're sort of circling back to how we started. Here are people who are um, willing to be treated poorly um, and who are willing to still love people who are um, often literally abusing them. Um, but they're deliberately sharing Jesus with people because it's just such an amazing opportunity, and the gospel is profoundly growing, and God is doing stuff. So yeah, it's there'll be discomfort involved. There'll be difficult people to care to care for and to enjoy loving, and also difficult um, spiritual battles. There's a lot of spiritual oppression. We uh, we can talk about Ephesians chapter six, and there's a lot of stuff going on there. But yeah, absolutely, of course you can do it. Um, and, and as, one of my, um, <laughs> as one of my Persian pastor friends says, um, Jesus is alive at well, and he's loose in the Middle East. And that's absolutely true.
1: Richard Chumak, you've given us a lot to think about today. Uh, thanks so much for being with us on the Heart of Mission podcast. Um, very good to be with you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Heart of Mission podcast. What small role can you be playing in God's big plans? To find out more about CMS and opportunities that might be there for you, search us on the web to find your local branch and local social media channels. CMS is a fellowship of Christian people and churches committed to global mission. We work together to set apart long-term workers who cross cultures to share the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ for a world that knows Jesus. See you next
0: time.